The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. EJ, it is a very special day. You know why it's a special day? Because we just spent all of Monday, this is the time when that episode came out, all of Monday talking about the Denver Broncos and why, you know, they were a a double-digit win team and, you know, might challenge for best in the AFC and might go all the way. We talked so glowingly about them. And yet today's team might be even better. That is the LA Chargers. We want to talk about ceiling and potential and ability to not just go all the way, but go all the way in dominant fashion. My God, the LA Chargers fit that bill. They are unpredictable at times, and we'll get into that. But when they are on, there is not a football team on planet Earth that can beat them. And that was true last year. It's going to be even more true this year because as talented as they were last year, they are even more talented this year. So uh, there is no ceiling for this team, quite frankly. Uh, We're going to go over ceiling in the end, but there is nobody that they can't beat. Allow me to rephrase. There's no team that the LA Chargers cannot beat. They are that talented. They jumped right into the what became the AFC West arms race. (laughs) and decided, well, hell, if you're all going to add, like, top-tier players, so are we. Area of strength? Don't care. We'll double up. Yeah, we're good to go. They have a super weapon at quarterback who is only going to be better with another year worth of experience. Not that he needed to be a lot better. He was already (laughs) exceptional last year. They've upped the surrounding cast through free agent acquisitions, trades, the draft, even UDFAs. So... Yeah, as good as they were, as dangerous as they were last year, they are that good or better, and just as, if not more dangerous this year, and they have the best alternate uniforms in the league. They have the best any uniforms in the league. Home, away, alt, doesn't matter. Like, they are, they clear everybody. Yeah, I don't, I don't the care reason, what anybody says. The whole reason I have this shirt is, yeah, it's a bootleg shirt and it's really cool, but the reason I have this particular one is because this is my favorite color combination in the league. It's not because I'm a huge Chargers fan. Like, I like the Chargers. The reason I got this shirt was because I was like, those are elite colors and I want them. Are they doing an alternate helmet? I haven't seen one. They yet. have not announced yet that they are that I've seen. 
Uh, if they do, my guess is that they would go with the old dark blues. So that they have a Which white is kind super of dark clean. Blue. Yeah, super clean. they don't have really a whole lot of bad. You can say powder blue is your favorite. I'm not going to begrudge you that, but they're dark blue and yellow. Um, man, it reminds me of the old Penske Sunoco colors of, you know, Trans Am racing from the early 70s. And I love that color combination. It looks so clean on the field. So powder blues, sure, great. Navy blues, oh, they're standards. The the Junior Seau, you know, Super Bowl uniforms, also really killer. Like, they just don't have any bad ones. Top-tier aesthetic. Top, top, top-tier aesthetic. Um, all right. We do have to talk about 2021 a little bit. We always do our little previous season recap for every single team. Before we talk about everything that's happened in the months since then, you know, what they've done in the offseason to kind of revamp, reload, all that kind of stuff. It's it's hard to properly put into words how inconsistent this team was. They finished nine and eight. They were third in the division, five and four at home, four and four on the road. I mean, it was dead even down in the middle. And you might say, oh, this was an average team. They're not an average team. They're a very good team that just happened to not be able to get out of their own way an inordinate amount of times. Uh, I mean, this was the same team that within a four-week period, you know, beat the absolute breaks off the Bengals who went to the Super Bowl. And then within a few weeks from there, got the breaks beaten off of them by the Houston Texans. So it's it's tough to accurately understand the inconsistency that is the Chargers unless you just phrase it a very specific way, which is imagine the Vikings, but in the AFC... And that's the Chargers. As frustrated as we get with the Vikings where we're like, man, when they're on, they beat anybody, but they can also equally lose to anybody. The Chargers are the same fucking team. And it is so infuriating because you see what they can do and you see what they're capable of. But every once in a while, they can't get out of their own way. And I've never understood why. It will probably still be that way this year. There's going to be at least one loss where we're like, what? How? Like, I know it's coming. I don't know when it's coming, but it's definitely coming. But at the same time, they're going to play against some other number one seed contenders and probably beat the shit out of them because they're that talented. So it, this is a team that's hard to bet on for that reason. <laughs> but my God, they're always entertaining. I'll at least give them that. If there's only one this year, I'll be happy because Chargers <laughs> fans will tell you there's been more than one multiples for many years now. And as soon as I thought of that comparison, as soon as I said, you know what they are? They're the AFC Vikings. I couldn't get it out of my mind, and I still can't, and it's driving me nuts. I don't like it. Um, I would like not to think of them that way, and I can't help myself. Now, every time I think of them, I think, man, you got a quarterback that you know, is better. Like I'm not saying Justin Herbert is equal to Kirk Cousins, but when oh, he's on a heater, close. Yeah. when he's on a heater... <laughs> You're not touching him. And that's the same with Cousins. Cousins will drop much farther below Justin Herbert's floor, but that's the same. Very talented receiving core. Vikings is probably a little bit better, but it's, you know, that's an open question. Is it, right? though? That's the point. You get into it and you're like, well, it depends on what you value in a receiving core in terms of age and production. Like, they're they're both very talented. They both have a very talented running back. 
You know, Dalvin Cook on one side, Austin Eckler, who was underappreciated and made our all underappreciated NFL team on the other side. Um, Offensive line, I would give that to the Vikings largely, but the Chargers have been investing in bringing the standard of their line up. Uh, You know, you look at very talented defensive end and rush units, uh, you know, super talented linebackers that they've had, like, they're even personnel similar but their overall result is yeah if they're playing their best football they're gonna whoop whoever they're playing and it doesn't matter who that is it can be any team in the league and then at least in previous years multiple times a season they're gonna lay an egg against a less talented team and you're gonna tear your hair out saying what happened it's they are the afc vikings and it it troubles me deeply which obviously the fact that they are so similar makes sense because when they played each other last year, <laughs> of course it came down to the last quarter it was a one possession game. Like it was, it was down to the wire because neither one of them are comfortable just blowing somebody out. <laughs> you know, it always yeah. has to go down to the end. Um, let's look at the power structure here. That's built a very, very, very talented charger squad. Um, among the best in the league I would say Tom Telesco year nine at GM I would say definitely has come into his own over the last four or so years and at this point I pretty much just trust him implicitly like if he's taking somebody I assume it's for a reason like I I have disagreed early on in Telesco's tenure I would say there was a lot of picks where I was like "Eh, I don't know about that at this point I'm like Tom you're fine you do whatever you want I trust you. You're probably right. I'm probably wrong. I just defer to him at this point. I do think he's a very good GM. And you could just look at the roster he's put together. Like, that is the resume. And for a long time, this roster has been... It seems like every single year, this time of year, we're like, oh, it's the Chargers year. Like, look, at there's so much talent every single year. Like, you don't get to that status every single August where people hype them up like this without having a good roster. And you don't have a good roster without having a good GM. So... Tom Telesco, great GM. Uh, Brandon Staley, people give him a lot of shit for the fourth down decisions and the aggressiveness, and it leans too much into math. No, he he made the right decisions. I did a whole film room episode on it. Like he, every single one of those fourth down calls, well, ninety nine percent of those fourth down calls were the correct decision. There were a couple that I mildly disagreed with, but on the whole, when you have a quarterback like Justin Herbert, trust him to get a yard. And sometimes it didn't work out for them. And unfortunately, when it didn't work out for them, it was in prime time. So everybody lost their shit. But if you watch the games that weren't in prime time, where they were just as aggressive on fourth down, where it worked for them, I I would trust that result over over the negative result more often than not. They, They are an analytically inclined team in a good way. And Brandon Staley is a great coach. Just one thing really quick. We want to thank our sponsor today for helping to make this show possible, and by extension, this entire series possible, Babbel. Babbel is a language learning app that, for people like me who really want to become functional speakers of any number of up to 14 different languages, including German, Spanish, French, and even Italian too, this is a really critical app for us. 
for bootleg in particular, and of course my other YouTube channel, 30% of our audience is not in the United States. And just within our top five audiences alone, the main spoken languages are Spanish, German, and Portuguese, in addition to obviously English. So being able to learn new languages to better connect with our audience while we're traveling around the world and trying to go to different NFL games in different countries, that's a pretty big deal for us. Babbel lessons have been created by over a hundred different linguistics experts, and they're scientifically proven to be effective, and in my opinion, most importantly of all, they also have speech recognition technology to help improve your pronunciation and accent, which, believe me, I know how tricky that can be to master, especially for German. Babbel also gives you access to podcasts, games, videos, stories, and even live classes, plus it all comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. So if you yourself are interested in learning a second or maybe even third language, right now if you get a three-month subscription to Babbel at the link in the description below, you'll also get an additional three months for free. That is six months of Babbel language lessons for the price of three. You're going to find all of that at Babbel.com promo code bootleg. Again, that is Babbel.com promo code bootleg to take advantage of that offer. And with that, thank you once again to Babbel. Let's get back to the show. Joe Lombardi. Year two at offensive coordinator, grandson of Vince Lombardi, if the name sounded familiar, which it should if you're a football fan. <laughs> the whole freaking trophy is named after him. But uh, he's he's been around the league for a long time and is a very flexible, adaptable offensive coordinator. He does, has, uh, does have his preferences, I would say, in terms of, you know, what types of players he prefers. Like... He's always really liked having athletic, tall tight ends that he can isolate in the seams and, you know, give jump ball opportunities to a quarterback. Like, that's half the reason why Gerald Everett and Dylan Barham are there is because he is an offensive coordinator that, <laughs> that likes to feed tight ends when he can. Um, mm -hmm. I still think that they're a prime candidate to go after another tight end in the draft this coming year, but that's that's future Brett's problem. We'll talk about that in about 10 months. <laughs> Um, but I, I've always liked Joe Lombardi. I, I've always felt that he's he's a very good play caller. You know, he leans into whatever his roster strengths are. Um, and typically, when he has a quarterback that is capable of going deep, he's not afraid to go deep. And that's why I've liked him a lot, because he doesn't get scared to just say, fuck it, four verts. It's third and four, four vert. Let's do it. Because when you have Justin Herbert, you could do that. Uh, Ronaldo Hill, year two. Uh, defensive coordinator you know I'm I'm reserving judgment because they did not have the personnel they wanted uh, to do the kind of things that they wanted to do particularly on the defensive front last year they did not have the defensive line talent they needed to do that kind of stuff hence a lot of the free agency and draft additions we're going to be talking about and so their run defense was terrible I don't necessarily think that was a Brandon Staley or Ronaldo Hill problem. I think that was a not having the right players problem. Not that not that they had bad players, but they just they weren't quite a fit for what they wanted to do on yeah. defense. Well, some of their players weren't good, but for the most part it was more of a fit issue than than anything else. Now, I think they have players that fit better in terms of, you know, they can play a lot of these three down fronts. Uh, with guys that can play gap and a half and let the linebackers fly around and be aggressive. And um, I don't necessarily know if they're going to go into all the tight front stuff that Brandon Staley's quote unquote known for, but <laughs> with their personnel now, they can do that if they want. They can play 
you know, four I zero four I and be just fine. They could play five zero five and be just fine. They can kind of shift over and do like a, a two I a three and 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 a heavy five and be just fine. Like they they can kind of do whatever they want now. Last year they they couldn't really do that. They their interior guys would just get washed completely. So they're a little bit a little bit heavier, thicker, stronger up front now. But anyway, not to go off on a tangent. Uh, and then Ryan Fick in year one as special teams coordinator. I do not have an opinion on him, quite frankly. But uh, yeah, overall, love the, the love the power structure, love the staff. Telesco's a good GM. Staley's a good coach. Lombardi's a good OC. And Ronaldo Hill, now that he has the correct players that he wanted, I think we're going to see him be a good DC for them. If we see a repeat of those issues, specifically on interior run fits and defensive line, uh, gaping holes is probably the best way to say that it wasn't you didn't have to watch Chargers defensive film from last year for very long before you saw oh my goodness you could have run a truck through that hole if those types of things occur uh, through I would say the first half of the season mm, in year two of the regime we're gonna have to worry a little bit more about that this is commonplace as regimes change around the NFL both on offense and defense where they have for lack of a better term square pegs and round holes for their system uh, players that are carryovers from the previous regime that are good players and might be great in a you know elsewhere but are not going to be good there doing the roles that they need them to do that are key to either their offense or their defense we saw that with the chargers a little bit specifically on their sort of interior defensive front last year where there were guys that weren't able to do the role responsibilities that they were counting on and therefore we saw a lot of gaps some busted plays a lot of long gains based off of those and as soon as you know opposing offensive coordinators see that kind of stuff it's a copycat league they're going to do it until you can stop it right they're just going to keep pushing on the nerve that's exposed until you can make them not do that anymore the chargers weren't like you said last year able to make them stop doing that so they never did so it just continued yeah Hence, a lot of the additions that we'll talk about as to to fill those gaps and to fill out the sort of secondary behind them to do many of the same things, right? They had good players in the secondary, a bunch of them. They added a couple of more this year that are going to give them the flexibility to do whatever it is they want, much like the defensive front shifting you talked about, the coverage that is linked to that, or even perhaps driving that from Staley's background, can now be flexed a lot of different ways because of a couple key additions we'll talk about in the secondary. Looking at the notable coaches under that top layer of the power structure, um, ironically, when we were doing this before the show, uh, the first one I saw was was Mike Heastand. And I was like, is that Harry? And then I immediately saw the note of son of Harry Heastand. I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Harry Heastand, longtime offensive line coach at Notre Dame, pumped out a ridiculous number of top flight prospects when he was at Notre Dame, then went to the Bears. Not 100% sure what went down with his tenure in Chicago. Um, uh, He ended up not working out there. (laughs) And I don't know why. Yeah, I I really don't know why. I was super excited about it. Everybody I knew was super excited about it. And people that had played in the Notre Dame program were like, this is a huge get for Chicago. This is, you know, look at his track record at Notre Dame. And it is. It's fantastic. And... Everybody was excited. Everybody was pumped. And 
first year it was okay and the second year it was not great and then he went back to notre dame uh so which by I'm the way sh- as, as soon as he went back to notre dame their offensive line started playing better again so i don't i i'm just gonna assume that was a matt Nagy problem <laughs> sure it seems a reasonable thing to assume but uh harry harry he's done long time success at notre dame and his son mike is a Offensive assistant, so a more generalized title, not specifically focusing on offensive line, but I imagine being a a very successful offensive line coach's kid, uh, he has plenty to he has plenty to give in that area. Um, really, the only sort of notable coach on offense, a lot of small school, and I mean small college, were uh, either players at coaches at very small colleges. So uh, Brandon Staley's sort of been. Uh, been combing the ranks here to find coaches he really likes. With well, you, potential. you know where he came from, right? You know where yes. he was like five years ago. He was the DC at John Carroll, so he's got a soft spot for fellow small school coaches. We'll talk about John Carroll a lot this week, as a matter of fact. Not so much in this episode, but wait till we get to the Raiders episode. Anyways, um, once we get to the defensive and special teams side, uh, we've got Jay Rogers, the run game coordinator and defensive line coach, nine NFL seasons of coaching, DL. Uh, this I found interesting because I didn't even know this award existed. Former recipient of the John Tierlink Award given annually to the NFL's top defensive line coach. I didn't even know that was a thing. And Jay Rogers has won it. So there you go. Um Michael Wilhoyt, linebacker, former NFL linebacker, many of you might recognize from both the 49ers and the Hawks, is the linebacker coach for the Chargers. Tom Donatel is the assistant secondary coach. He's the son of longtime NFL coach Ed Donatel, and we talked about his brother, uh, Vikings defensive QC coach Steve Donatel, a couple of weeks ago, or last week. Uh, at this point so uh runs in the family all the donatels coaching in the league currently and then john timu is a defensive assistant former nfl and aaf linebacker with the bears and the stallions um i'm certainly familiar with him as a bears fan uh but breaking into coaching as a defensive assistant with the chargers uh if you're curious who won the john tierlink award this past year i am uh, i'm actually deadly curious it was uh god it was the rams defense uh, eric henderson that's what it was the rams defense oh, okay because i guess if you have aaron donald it's just you're just like oh yeah they were good let's just give it to him well <laughs> i'm they sure had, it's fine they had more than that I mean, they had greg Gaines too which they you know i certainly uh, well, i will say recipient. getting greg Gaines to where he's at now i mean not when Gaines came into the league but sure. where Gaines is at now like you have to be a great defensive line coach to to kind of yeah, I mean, and, all all credit in the world to Gaines, by the way, for doing the work. But like Gaines now versus Gaines where he was when he came into the league, two completely different players. Yeah, he's taken to the coaching, and it's always that synergy between who you are as an athlete and whether or not you're ready to improve, and you have the physical skills, and do you mesh with your coach? Do you listen? Do you learn? Uh, you know, and how does your coach mesh with you? It's not just your response. It's not one way relationship. It's a very two way relationship, which is kind of the reason we do this whole section. Um, a lot of you said in the comments that you've enjoyed a lot of this, uh, sort of behind the scenes linkage and all the sort of web of coaches and interrelatedness that occurs within the NFL. And, you know, if we're talking about defensive line coaches like Jay Rogers is one, Carl Dunbar's one. We talked about Bill Kohler yesterday. Like 
there are several top tier defensive line coaches that have worked in multiple spots around the league and everywhere they go, they put together very good defensive lines. And I actually just put out a tweet this week about the 49ers who are going to take a chance on just about any talented defensive lineman that washes out anywhere else because they have a very good coach who's delivered results where other people have failed. So, um, Robert and Kim DJ tried out for them and may sign with the 49ers because they're like, Hey, here's a guy that has, uh, not a one of a kind frame, but, uh, a rare frame in terms of an athlete was really talented and he's never really panned out. He's had some average success at his sort of second and third stops. Hey, can we get him in here and turn him into the next, uh, in San Francisco's case, Arden Key, right? Same thing. We brought him in and suddenly he's a contributor. Why? Well, because we've got a great defensive line coach and we can turn that into an asset. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Looking at the free agency losses, I would I would kind of group them into two different categories, to be honest. You have the older veterans, you know, not just Chargers veterans, but veterans of the NFL played multiple spots at this point that are just kind of aging out and you know maybe they'll catch on at some point during training camp you know Michael Schofield just signed with the Bears two days before we recorded this also by the way disclaimer we're recording this literally on the first day that Chargers camp started they just started today so by the time this comes out in two weeks somebody might get hurt and that's why we're not <laughs> mentioning it or you know I'm, I'm actually going down to camp I think the week this releases or maybe the week before this releases so you know, I will have some other observations that I'll touch on at some point later, but uh, we are, we do kind of have to record these two weeks ahead of time. So some of these guys in that veteran group, Brian Balaga, Linval Joseph, Chris Harris Jr., Jared Cook, you know, they might also catch on somewhere in the middle of camp as well. But as of right now, they are 33, 34, 33, and 35. So they're, they're on the older side and, you know, maybe they won't catch on. You know, they are kind of at that point in their careers where some guys just kind of quietly ride off into the sunset uh, other than Michael Schofield who is now a bear and probably will start for them because they got nobody else <laughs> um, Justin Jones kind of heads the other category which are these are guys who were contributors to varying degrees that because they kind of had to save some money and spend it elsewhere we're going to get to the the third party signings where they spend an absolute metric shit ton of money they let those guys go and kind of do their own thing. So Justin Jones is now in Chicago. He signed for $6 million. Kazir White, actually, this one kind of pissed me off a little bit because <laughs> $3 million, like you couldn't throw $3 million at Kazir White. You're throwing like $80 million at everybody else. Couldn't throw $3 million at Kazir White, a solid starting linebacker with really good coverage ability. But 
I digress. He's in Philly at $3 million a year. Ridiculous deal for them. Uh, Kyler Fackrell signed with the Raiders for a little under $2 million. He's still kicking around, which he's he's actually carved out quite a quite a nice career for himself compared to... He's, I think he's almost up to 10 years now, which if you told me Kyler Fackrell was going to play 10 years in the league, I'd be like, what? No way. Uh, but here he is. And then uh, Uchenna Nwosu signed with the Seahawks for close to $10 million. That was the quote-unquote big money guy they lost so he was uh, a pretty good rotational edge piece for them actually played a lot of snaps for them last year but considering some of the other moves they made in to bring other edge players there was no way he was going to start over anybody else so bye-bye he's in Seattle Um, so yeah overall they didn't lose any absolutely critical pieces I would have preferred they kept white but they can survive without him but looking at the context of who they then spent that money on in terms of who they brought in, it did make a lot of sense. I think they probably thought White was going to sign for more. I think in their sort of pre-free agency series planning, they were like, look, he's going to get 4 or $5 million a year, and we just, we're not going to pay that. We, we like him. He's a very good player. He's done well for us, but somebody's going to come along and throw the bag at him, and we're going to have to replace him in another way. And then I think they may have told his representation that because that often happens. They say to agents, hey, you're in the plans. You're not in the plans. Like, give us an offer. We don't care if you give us an offer, you know. And I think they may have said that. And so, you know, because your White's agents doing due diligence are out there beating the bushes trying to figure out where his best spot is. And Philadelphia offers up a bunch of money. And I, I think the Chargers may look back at that one and go, hmm. Just what you said. I gotta think they gave him a chance to match, right? Yeah, and they some teams are funny in terms that they just say we're not spending at this position or we're not spending on this player for one reason or another. Anyways, Eagles fans are thrilled, or they should be, that they got Kasir White because it's a big upgrade for the Eagles compared to their linebacking situation last year, and they got him at a value. I actually was hoping Kasir White would get an offer from the Bears to go play beside Roquan Smith. Instead, they went with you know Morrow from the Raiders, who I think is going to be fine, but only ended up getting paid a million more. So it was in the same range, uh, $4 million versus $3 million, pretty much the same thing. Justin Jones also goes to the Bears, again, as a replacement. Larry Ogunjobi fails his physical. They immediately offer to Justin Jones, who was obviously second on their list for that penetrating three-tech role in Matt Eberflus's defense. And then Nchenna Nwosu was a favorite of mine in the draft, super underrated coming out, very athletic. Uh, I was higher on him than a lot of folks were. Really liked his potential, and I'm excited about what he's going to be able to do with Clint Hurt in Seattle. I think he's going to be a real weapon. He had flashes with the Chargers, some very good flashes. Like you said, he ended up playing almost 70% of the snaps last year. A good and ascending player at 26, so you know, in my mind, worth the $9.5 million they paid him. Going to be fun to watch his progress under a coach who has had very good success developing attacking defensive line talent, and he is all that in a bag of chips. Now, looking at their retentions, relatively short list. And to be honest, the only major one is Mike Williams at $20 million. I can't remember the exact date they signed him, but I'm pretty sure it was before. <laughs> yep. It was after the Christian Kirk deal, but before the crazy escalation at the very, very top of the market, you know, where Devontae got traded and paid a bunch of money and Cup got paid and Tyreek got paid and, and A.J. Brown got paid. I think it was before all of that. So it was kind of in that in-between period where 20 was still considered, you know, pretty close to top of market. 
in the context of all the other deals that were just signed, that's a pretty good deal for them because Mike Williams is a very, very good receiver. Could he be a number one on some teams? Maybe, but I think the fact that he's with Keenan means that he can be one of the best number twos in the league. One of the very best number twos, actually. Um, great deep threat. Not a deep threat in, this, in, in the sense a lot of people think of, of like, oh, he's going to take the top off of the defense with speed. It's more so a deep threat that wins with size and length and body control where Justin can just take a shot and trust that he's going to come down with it. Because even if he's covered, he's not really covered. And he's always kind of been that way. Um, where he's gotten better at, though, is, and I especially saw this this time last year. I remember I was watching videos from Chargers camp last year, and they were showing clips of him doing release work off the line and, um, you know, doing, uh, I can't remember, it was some kind of in-breaking route that he was running in team period. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. He didn't used to sink his hips like that. Nope. So I think he's gotten a lot quicker and more explosive in short areas as well when it comes to like the route running part of being a receiver too. So he's not just a post up guy now. He can he can route you up a little bit as well, which he didn't used to have in his tool bag. So he's a very, very, very good receiver. And at twenty million a year in the context of the current wide receiver market is absolutely good value for one of the best number twos in the league. And then uh, for the rest of their signings, it was mostly small money deals for, you know, kind of key role players here and there. Chase Daniel, you know, that somehow still still keeps on trucking at 36 as, as a backup quarterback that's played like 12 snaps in his career. Uh, keeps getting $2 million a year. It's got to be the best job in football. It's like, oh, what do you do? It's like, oh, I'm a backup quarterback that never plays because the starter is Justin Herbert and I get paid millions of dollars. It's amazing. Uh, Christian Covington, you know, rotational interior player. I remember when he first uh, came in with the Texans and, you know, he's going to be turning 30 this year. So he's carved out a nice career for himself as well. He's He's been around for a long time. Uh, came out of Rice, if I remember correctly, as a three technique. He's still kicking around. Uh, Donald Parham, huge, huge frame at tight end, <laughs> massive frame at tight end, which I think is why Lombardi likes him so much is because he can just ISO him up and say, go throw the ball up and he can he can go get it. Uh, and then Jalen Guyton, I think he's wide receiver four for them because Palmer, I'd imagine, would be the three and then Guyton would be the four, which for a quality wide receiver four paying less than a million dollars a year, I think is good value for him as well. So, uh, yeah, overall, retentions-wise, you got the big one at the top at Mike Williams and then a whole bunch of little role players filling in. Yeah, I think the Chargers, and this is probably part of Telesco's genius, Donald Parham isn't worth as much to other teams as he is to the Chargers, and the Chargers use that to their benefit and sign him for less than a million dollars. He outplayed a million dollars just last year. If you mm -hmm. look at his his production with Justin Herbert, his connection with Justin Herbert, he's a very important player, but he's a very important player to the Chargers. If he went in anywhere else, would he mirror that production? Probably not in the first year of his deal. So nobody comes hunting for him in free agency. Chargers end up retaining him for what I would say is under market value based on what he did in their offense last year. Jalen Guyton, same thing. Nobody comes knocking on your door for your wide receiver four unless they're you know, suitably awesome, but Guyton had a couple of haul it in balls from Justin Herbert last year that made the highlight reels. Storm Norton's another one. 
you may not believe in Storm Norton. The person next to you may not believe in Storm Norton, but the Chargers <laughs> believe in Storm Norton, and they believe. I don't believe in Storm Norton. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. They do, though. And again, to be able to retain him for less than a million dollars, they're talking about him being in a legitimate battle for the starting right tackle job. And right now, talking him up that, hey, both he and you know his opponent in that battle have improved through the offseason. Whatever you think about Storm Darton, the Chargers are semi-serious about playing him at right tackle. So the idea that you get a starting tackle, either tackle in the NFL for less than a million dollars, unheard of. There's three guys less than a million dollars apiece that are important players on their team that they keep. And then I have to put in a plug for Joe Reed. Why? Because I love Joe Reed. That's it. I, I don't care if it's Storm Norton or Trey Pipkins. Uh, George Karloft is going to line up on third and seven against one of those dude. And it's going to be, it's going to be a midday snack for him. Like, <laughs> I, I, I love what they've done for the offensive line in general uh, over the last couple of years because it was a mess a yep. few years ago and it's much better than it was. Yeah. Next draft, we got to We got to hit right tackle because I'm, <laughs> Yeah, Tom. We if Justin talk. Herbert gets absolutely annihilated one more time from the right tackle position, I'm going to get pissed because that was an issue last year, yeah. and I think it's still going to be an issue this year. And I really, really, really don't want him to get hurt because, right? It's I like, swear to God, whatever edge lines up on that side feasts yeah. every week. It's, like, it's Tom, so annoying. Call me, like seriously, buddy. We got to talk right tackle. Like I know what you think, and I was a Storm Norton guy as a swing tackle when he came out. Not a starter. I thought, hey, Storm would be a very good swing tackle. Developmental swing tackle was my grade on Storm Norton. fact that he's been forced into starting duty, I was like, well, we're going to see what he has. And I was like, no, I was right. He's a developmental swing tackle. Um, so we'll see what we'll see what happens in the battle with him and Pipkins. Um, you know, would I be terribly upset if Tom got aggressive at the cutdown deadline and picked up the best possibly even aging tackle on a one-year deal and plugged him in at right? No, I wouldn't be upset by that at all. I mean, Riley Reef was out there. He just got signed yesterday. <laughs> I, I have a very particular use for him, <laughs> saving another very talented quarterback <laughs> from getting annihilated every snap. Uh, all right. Now, third-party additions. This is the fun part. This is the really fun part, actually. This is where they spent most of their money. I was going to say, this, this is the fun part for the accountants. <laughs> for the accountants. <laughs> a lot of money went in the escrow accounts here, okay? Uh, obviously, they spent a lot of money on Mike Williams as far as retentions go, but the majority of the money they spent this offseason was on third-party additions. Khalil Mack was acquired in a trade, sent a second-round pick for him, but again, a lot of money going to Khalil Mack. Um, they... Uh, they paid J.C. Jackson sixteen five per year to come be a starting quarter for them, and probably a a uh, not I don't want to say above average. A little what's above above average? Good. <laughs> how do you how do you classify that? Because I've never been like a J.C. Jackson is like an elite corner guy, yeah. but I also think he's better than above average. So whatever tier you qualify that as, you know, like a tier two ish, tier three ish type corner, he's there. Quality starter. How about we just label it that? Um, but he's getting sixteen five, which is just a lot of money. Um, they also spent seven million a year on Austin Johnson to come help solidify the interior defensive line rotation. He absolutely fits what they want to do, which is people who can you know get off a block every now and then. Uh, Gerald Everett for six million to be presumably the starting tight end. Uh, it's going to be him, and then Donald Parham, and then I, I would 
guess Trey McKitty is their is their tight end three. Uh, Troy Reader they brought in at linebacker for a million. Kyle Van Noy, one of my favorite players of the last ten years, maybe fifteen years or so, under two and a half million. Which for a player, the quality of Kyle Van Noy seems like a steal. Like he's only thirty one. I use the term only thirty one yeah. <laughs> loosely, but for what he brings to the table. 31-year-old Kyle Van Noy at less than $2.5 million. Seems like an awesome deal. And then Morgan Fox, who played under Brandon Staley uh, when Staley was in L.A. I'm a big Morgan Fox fan, and I think he's going to play uh, a very specific role for them, you know, being either a five technique or a four-eye if they want to either do some of the tight front stuff or if they want to do... Um, like, you could probably if they're doing like a five-man service and then have Morgan Fox be a four-eye like what he was in Carolina, I think he can do that for them as well. He's not as big as a lot of guys who you typically think of being four-eyes and five techniques, but he's still really, really good at it. So, uh, Plus, he can kick inside and play three technique on passing downs if you really want him to. So I'm I'm a big fan of Morgan Morgan Fox. Excuse me. I think he's going to be a great fit for them. Uh, And then Bryce Callahan, if he's healthy... Bryce Callahan is a very good nickel. The health part has always been an issue. Now, that being said, based on their current depth chart, he will walk in and be the starting nickel from day one. I have no doubt about that. I just need him to stay healthy. <laughs> and I, I really, really, really need him to stay healthy because I don't really trust anybody else on the roster to do it other than him. Yeah, you said Bryce Callahan and healthy drink. Uh <laughs> Yeah, well, actually don't because you'll be passed out by the end of the episode. But no, this is them remaking their interior defensive line. We talked about this as one of their Achilles heels as an overall team at the top of the episode. You bring in Austin Johnson, Morgan Fox, and Sebastian Joseph Day. Now, Morgan Fox and Sebastian Joseph Day, Brandon Staley has familiarity with both from his time with the Rams. And Austin Johnson, very solid player who played a lot of snaps for the Giants last year. Like they looked at the capability of those three players and rotating them inside and said, all right, that's going to give us a lineup. And like you said, flexibility to, to move them around a bit in different roles. They can't all do all of it, but between two or three of them, we get enough overlap that we can do what we want to do there. And we won't get gashed because we're going to put a priority on that not happening because that basically caved our defense in from the inside a lot more often than we wanted it to be. And they put, you know, fairly serious money at it between Sebastian Joseph Day and Austin Johnson. It's $8 million and $7 million. They get Morgan Fox for a song under $1.2. But the others are fairly significant investments for interior defensive line players getting up towards $10 million for both of them. They're serious about this. They saw the film, too. They were really tired of watching those guys get washed down the line and making huge three- and four-yard gaps. And they said, nope, we're going to we're gonna nip that in the bud. We're going to throw a bunch of money at it and set the accountants loose. Um, other than that, it's a really interesting mix. Um, you know, Troy Reader, again, familiarity from the Rams. Uh, you know, Bryce Callahan is maybe the ultimate class cannon in the nfl and that's a title you don't <laughs> want to compete for but when he's in and he's playing he's as good as anyone in the league at nickel that's about 50 percent of the time on average so you better have a backup plan not sure the chargers do like you said uh, but this is really them going after that internal defensive line core 
in addition to the stars, you talked about J.C. Jackson and Khalil Mack. I'm not discounting their additions. They're big. But this was, we're going to shore up the core. We're not going to get kicked right in the nuts every running play again. We're going to be able to kick back. Uh, when you look at the, depending on nickel or base, either it was a five-man surface or a four-man surface, because in nickel, um, they would do a lot of, uh, you know, either having a, a no shade in a three or a two I in a three or sometimes a two I and a head up two. And uh, they, they were much lighter in the pants. And so they would get they would get washed. And then in base, they would, you know, have a five man surface like you see with a lot of I don't even want to call it three, four, because most three, fours are really a five, two. You look at the guys <laughs> they had last year. <laughs> what? I love it. Most three, fours are really five. Two. I it look you know it all turns into man eventually there are truisms <laughs> on defense in the nfl and that just goes in the bag for the truisms like like three four doesn't exist the, it's a five the only actual three four like quote unquote three fours of like three down linemen and then four linebackers that are off the ball is the stuff that you that you see like in tight fronts you know where it's literally just three guys in the line of scrimmage and then the linebackers are you know very expanded we're playing against the spread it, it's in the nfl it's not super common it's a sub yeah sub sub package you know? sub sub package yeah most typically most typical three fours in the nfl it's five guys in the line of scrimmage it's three down linemen two linebackers and then two linebackers behind so it's really a five two which is how wade phillips teaches it like he teaches it as a five two essentially but and anyway, just to really guys. no to really confuse people if they don't do that they'll show that but it's really a four three because they're bringing one of the linebackers three of the linemen yeah they'll have and four they, four and, down and then the Sam is standing up over the tight end to right. beat the shit out of him right yeah. and he floats into short like hook zone coverage and so yeah. that's a four three it looked like a five two but it's a four three and there is no such thing as a three four so then anyways if we haven't confused and, and you then you look at the georgia shit where they <laughs> present it and then they stem and then they just move everybody right before the snap and you're like god what do i even call that you know right so it's, well they had a defensive tackle <laughs> that they could drop in pass coverage so what are you gonna do they had two of them actually they had three of them that they could do that with all right, now that we've thoroughly, anyway, now that everybody's turned this episode off, we should get back to talking about the Chargers. Now that everybody has no idea what we're talking about, no. uh, if you look at last year's, let's just call it defensive line group. Sure. Compare it to this year, you know, you got Austin Johnson as a very capable nose tackle. He's going to be splitting that job with Atito Ogbonia, most likely, because Ogbonia is built very similarly and has a similar skill set to Austin Johnson. Sebastian Joseph Day, as your classic can anywhere from three to five. Morgan Fox. I don't know if I trust him as a three on early downs. On passing downs, obviously, yes, but he's a four-eye to a five. Christian Covington, somewhere to a, a three to a five. You're starting to see the DNA come together. And then, by the way, the two guys flanking those three are going to be Joey Bosa and Cleo Mack, who are excellent at turning everything back inside. They set a great edge. So... You're not getting outside of those edges, and you're probably not going through the nose, which means the linebackers kind of have an easy day of we're just going to play off the four eye or we're going to play off the three because there's kind of nowhere else to go with the ball. So it's I happen to think it's going to be really, really hard to run on the Chargers this year compared to last year, especially last year, they allowed like 140 <laughs> yards a game on the ground yeah. this year. I'm thinking we're looking somewhere like 100 to 110 which still sounds like a lot, but 
relative to the rest of the league. I mean, that would have been... I was going to say 30 yards less a game probably sounds real good to the Charger faithful right now. If they allowed 110 yards last year a game, that would have been like 12 in the NFL, which would be a godsend for Chargers fans at this point. I think that's where they're going to get to because, again, of all the work they've done to rebuild the interior rotation, as well as bringing in Khalil Mack, who's one of the best edge setters in the league since the day he walked in. Not to mention, he's still a really good pass rusher. I know he's long in the tooth at this point. He's 31, but you still watch Khalil Mack play football, and you're like, yeah, that dude can can tear people's face off still. So uh, that, that defensive front in general is just locked and loaded. And then, uh, as you mentioned, the secondary, J.C. Jackson, Derwin James, Nasir Adderley, Asante, Callahan, a couple other rookies we're going to talk about. <laughs> yep. it's just It just goes and goes and goes. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Uh, speaking of those rookies, by the way, let's get to the draft. Very interesting thing happened with the Chargers. They, uh, at least according to what we're looking at here, they didn't trade at all, yeah. which is not normal at all. No, it's first team we've come across. And again, we're in our very last region. We're out west. Uh, so we're in our last quarter of going through the league. And I have not seen one draft yet where there were no picks traded uh, in terms of picks they actually made. Now, they they traded away a second round pick for Khalil Mack, so you don't see that one. But in terms of the picks they made, none of them came from other teams. These are all original Chargers picks. Haven't seen that before. So just an interesting side note to their draft. But really solid draft. Started off round one, pick 17. They get Zion Johnson, the guard from Boston College. Now, could be guard, could be center. Very large, very athletic, versatile, as we just mentioned. Had a great senior bowl, was one of the quote-unquote safest products in the entire draft, right? Of interior offensive linemen is the safest percentage-wise first-round pick you can make. Zion Johnson, on top of that, is a tremendous athlete who can play a couple of positions for you. The idea that he misses is a really low percentage shot, so great pick by them. They skip round two. That went in the Khalil Mack trade. Round three, pick 79. JT Woods, the safety for Baylor, went just about where I thought he would. This is a safety from Dave Aranda's defense for the Baylor Bears, who was the super rangy single high guy. They played a lot of two high there, but he ended up generally taking the wider side of the field and having the longer runs. Great speed, attacks the ball little bit linear as an athlete but not enough so that it limits him because he's so damn fast love him and he's been making early noise for the chargers again we're recording this on like day one or day two of chargers camp he's already pulled quite a bit of notice of hey in three safety packages he's going to be the deep guy right nasir adderley can be the other deep guy if you want to and then you can run derwin close to the line where he can absolutely wreak havoc 
this JT Woods, mark my words, is going to play a very important role for the Chargers this year as the third safety. But usually when we talk about a third safety, we're talking about that box guy, the heavier guy they're going to bring in as a as a dimebacker. In this case, the third safety for the Chargers is going to be JT Woods, and he's going to end up playing deeper, sort of a more center field role, and he's damn good at it. He's getting a whole bunch of interceptions and OTAs, and even though we're like literally a day into camp, uh, it sounds like he's already passed Loey Gilman on the depth chart to be the guy that that comes in, you know, when when Derwin's out or when uh, Nasir's out. It sounds like JT Woods has already already passed everybody else. So I think you're onto something there. Yeah, keep an eye on him for sure. Round four, pick one twenty three. They go with the hyper productive Texas A and M running back Isaiah Spiller. A lot of people had him higher up than round four. I know a lot of, especially Aggies fans, were really surprised that he was still available. Very talented running back draft, a lot of depth. Chargers benefit from that, able to pick a guy that's productive in a big conference and is physically gifted. Uh, Give him a hole, you're not going to see him. He's got great speed, but doesn't run without power. Is powerfully built, does run between the tackles. Is going to be a hammer more for them because Austin Eckler is going to be more of their Lightning, well, everything, pass catching. Austin Eckler, also very good between the tackles. Hugely underrated strength out of a player his size, but Spiller is solidly built and can come in and hammer you as well. Round five, pick 160, one of our favorites, a guy we got to see last fall in practice, Otito Ogbonio, the defensive tackle from UCLA, about 323 clogs up the middle are you sensing a theme with the chargers they didn't want that to happen anymore they didn't want to get gashed they go get a very talented player from uh local for them in terms of a college prospect round six pick 195 jimmy salier the guard out of georgia very powerful run blocker can absolutely see him morphing into a starter over the next two to three years wouldn't be at all surprised if two three years from now he's a starter at right guard for them and just chugging along and everybody's like what round they get him in oh yeah sixth um again one of the largest draft classes in history um talented players from national championship programs who were well regarded are going to be available later than they typically would be again chargers benefit from that this is why we say tom telesco is a good gm he was patient he waited he got a player at a position of need way down the board in round six Second pick in round six, number 214, Jasir Taylor, the cornerback from Wake Forest. Probably going to slot in at nickel behind Callahan, so we might see him early. Uh, I don't know that that's necessarily a good thing. I'd like to see him develop a little bit. I hope Bryce Callahan stays healthy because I think the drop-off from Callahan to Jasir Taylor is fairly large. Um, So hopefully he gets to sort of play that backup role and develop. Round seven, pick 236, uh, Dean Leonard, defensive back from Old Miss. Didn't watch a ton of him, watched that defense quite a bit, but was watching farther up front, linebackers and pass rushers. And then round seven, player we got to see at the Shrine Bowl, pick 260, Xander Horvath, the fullback from Purdue, who is an absolute unit. <laughs> like, that guy is rocked. He is he cuts a completely square profile and has a ridiculous athletic score. Not just the old hard nose, bang him up fullback who happens to be slow and really tough. Xander Horvath is a crazy athlete who 
I feel like he's one of those guys you look at and you go, man, his frame is already maxed. Like a pro conditioning program I, I, is going to do nothing for him. I, I think his uh, his body fat percentage is negative. He might be the only guy I've ever seen. I think it was influenced when I walked near him. It increased for him. <laughs> like he, he, I, yeah, the amount of veins on, on one human's arm. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Like that dude is yoked yep. but beyond belief uh his ras by the way is 10 meaning he is ding going off ras the most athletic fullback prospect of all time he's 6'2 230 31 on the bench so yeah he lifts uh <laughs> vertical 35 and a half 10 foot in the broad so he doesn't skip leg day uh four six flat in the 40 one five seven 10 yard split so he he scoots quick Four two five shuttle six seven five three cone, which means he actually has good hips too. He can turn. That's He's not the a part that ship. kills me. Look at how many wide receivers, even little fast wide receivers, like tiny little speed, what we say electric or juice slot guys. Look at their three cones, and they're they ain't like that. They're giving <laughs> up like sometimes like fifty pounds. To- path and he is quicker changing directions than they are let me let me look up devonta smith's i'm, I'm genuinely curious look up calvin what, austin's what at this point okay oh, yeah let me do that calvin austin's three count here sorry we're going off the rails a little bit but i'm just curious uh so his three cone oh i don't think he ran one. Oh, that's that's no interesting fun. what well, he's like 5'7", 170. I have to imagine he's what a smash. He's really him. small, and maybe he matched him, but even if he matched him at the increased weight, at the increased mass for Xander Horvath, like, that's an athletic feat that's it's not apples to apples. It's unreal. All right. I, I, I found one that's, that's, that's good to look at. Sky Moore, okay, high pick for the Chiefs, great receiver prospect, one of our favorite receiver prospects in this class. Xander, uh, Xander Horvath as a fullback, his three cone is six seven five. Sky Moore, top tier receiver prospect, three cone of seven one three. <laughs> it's like not even close. He, he is just so unbelievably freaky. I I don't know if I've ever seen a fullback like it. Like Kyle Uzcheck is amazing and one of the best fullbacks ever, and is what kind was- of the poster child. What was Uzcheck's three? Oh, you know what? Yeah, let me look. Yeah. Let me look up Kyle now Uzcheck's. I'm now curious. we're getting into some fun stuff because uh, folks that are familiar with the 49ers are going to know how many different ways Kyle Shanahan uses Kyle Uzcheck. Obviously, a great blocker, but also a great receiver and a great runner when they give him carries. They don't very often. Uh, but when they get the ball in his hands, he's extremely athletic and really powerful. So comparing a guy like Kyle Uzcheck's. Ooh, <laughs> six nine three. Oh. Horvath beat it by two tenths of a second. That's a tremendous amount when you're talking about under seven seconds. You're talking about two tenths. That's really significant. Xander Horvath, a tremendous athlete. Don't write off his ability to make an immediate contribution on special teams, but also if you want, if Lombardi wants to use him as an everything on offense, you want to talk about H back, fullback, whatever. Like he's got enough girth to be a true fullback. He's got enough speed and quicks and turning ability to be an H back. You could do a great many things with Xander Horvath, but he's going to be folks like Austin Eckler's best friend real quick. I cannot believe almost an hour into this fucking podcast, we just did five minutes on a fullback being an athlete. 
Oh. Welcome to Bootleg. If you like this, it, this, this click this subscribe. Is why we record at ten thirty at night. This is what happens when we do that. Yeah, and we haven't oh, talked oh, I'm about. Still our... not done with my scotch. Right, and you have Oban fourteen, and we haven't talked about our favorite draft prospects in like months. So this is just venting for us. Anyway, I do think that they got um, four, depending on how you classify the fullback position, maybe five starters out of this class. You know, because some people see. If you come out in 21 on your first snap, yeah, okay, Xander Horvath is a starter. In terms of playing majority of downs, obviously, you wouldn't be. So it just kind of depends on how you define that. But at minimum, I think we're looking at four eventual starters in this class. Zion Johnson, JT Woods, uh, Atito Akbonia, and then Isaiah Spiller eventually... Right. I think we'll have an even touch split with Austin Eckler because I think they're going to want to preserve Austin Eckler because they invested a lot of money in him. Well, not 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 a lot relative to receiver position, but like they did invest in him. They signed him to an extension. They don't want him to get ground down into dust. They want to use Austin Eckler for key situations. Red zone, third down, all that kind of stuff. They they can give a lot of early down work to Isaiah Spiller and grind him down while Austin Eckler gets the important stuff. So I would not be shocked if Spiller ends up getting a relatively even touch split with Eckler, just like, say, in New Orleans where, you know, Kamara might only get 15 touches, but it's a really important 15 touches, and then all the other running backs get, you know, another 15 touches themselves. Like, I think we could see a similar kind of thing, uh, a similar kind of thing with the Chargers, to everyone's benefit, by the way. So yeah, I'm I think I'm thinking four four starters out of this class, which considering they didn't even have a second round pick because they traded it for Mac, that's pretty good. If you want weird prop bets with bootleg, sure, I give why you not? that Horvath gets a start before Spiller. Technically speaking, yeah. If they come out in twenty one. Yeah, technically speaking. Anyways, because they're, they're going to call like fullback seam or some shit like that off play action on the first play of the game just to see if you're paying attention. Because why not? You got a fullback that runs 4 6. It'll be fun. It'll be fascinating <laughs> to watch. In terms of their UDFA class, brought in quite a few players. Telesco and his staff tend to have a really interesting lens on UDFA. They bring in a fair number of players in terms of the type and where they come from. Not many names that I typically resonate with, but they did grab two running backs, and anybody that follows my work knows that I love running backs. Um, they brought in Kevin Marks Jr. from Buffalo and Letty Brown from West Virginia. We can talk about both these players because we saw Letty Brown uh, at the Shrine Bowl, and he's a very good all-around back. I put out a couple of tweets during the week that said, man, he does pretty much everything well. He's a good runner. He's shown fluidity in, you know, what I would call running back receiving routes. He's a decent blocker. Guys like that find a role in the league and play for a long time. Nobody was talking about Letty Brown as evidenced by the fact that he ended up being a UDFA. Could he make a roster? Yeah, because he is a good all-around running back. I want to take a minute and talk about Kevin Marks Jr., running back mm -hmm. from Boston. A lot of people forgot about Kevin Marks Jr., and rightfully so, because he got hurt uh, pretty much at the beginning of last year. He didn't have very many rushing downs before he ended up being injured and not really coming back before the very end of the season for Buffalo. I found Kevin Marks Jr. looking at Jarrett Patterson tape the year before when Jarrett Patterson was coming out of the University of Buffalo. Jarrett Patterson ended up playing for Washington. Uh, Jennifer King, who was the 
running backs coach at the Shrine Bowl is his current running backs coach at Washington, and he ended up having a very good rookie season coming in after some injuries and making some yards, making some noise in Washington. While I was watching Jared Patterson tape, he was splitting time at Buffalo with Kevin Marks Jr. two years ago. And I wrote in my notes, his backup, I love Jared Patterson, by the way. I wrote, his backup might be better than him, Kevin mm-hmm. Marks Jr. He was more explosive, he was bigger, he was faster, and he had more explosive plays. Patterson had more runs that he worked, right, where he one of my favorite things about Patterson is he linked multiple moves together and ended up getting the sort of absolute maximum out of every run. He did just the right thing four times in a row and ended up with an 18-yard gain instead of a six-yard gain. Marks was more, oh, you left me a hole or, oh, you let me stiff arm your nickel back. I'm going to pick up 15 because I am big and strong and fast and I can run you over. I had high hopes for Marks because I love Patterson. I love marks even more he really didn't get an opportunity at buffalo got hurt they're very deep running back room they brought back the they sorry brought in the top running back from connecticut they were four deep at buffalo and he looked at his chances and said "Mm, even though i was hurt and i had a really down senior year i'm going to go to the draft everybody forgets about him if Mark my words, if Kevin Marks Jr. is healthy, he makes this roster and he probably pushes for the number two running back. And that includes Isaiah Spiller. And I know a lot of people are going to say, you're crazy. Go watch Kevin Marks Jr. run at Buffalo and he's healthy and tell me I'm wrong. I'll take your abuse in the comments. See, that's the thing is I don't think Chargers fans would tell you you're wrong because once upon a time, Austin Eckler was also a UDFA that had, quote unquote, no shot. And now he's, you know... Austin Eckler <laughs> so yeah. it's not that nuts you know it might take a couple years but it's not that yeah, nuts yeah. he is a very talented player and I liked him better than Jarrett Patterson too and Patterson is on a roster really good running back rotation <laughs> yeah. you know so uh yeah really 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 fun backfield that they got there let's go to uh team floor team ceiling final segment for this show uh, I'm kind of keeping it with the general theme that you're going to hear a lot this week when we're talking about all the AFC West teams, which is, yeah, their ceiling is 13 wins. Will they get there? Probably not. But adhering to the strict definition of ceiling, which is like, what is possible? I would say 13 wins. More likely scenario is somewhere around 11 because they're in the AFC West. They're all going to cannibalize each other. Everybody's going to split with everybody. There's four losses right there. And then, you know, you got to go through the rest of the AFC. And hopefully you can go two for two with whatever NFC conference you're playing. It's tough. It's a very tough schedule. They have the talent to win 13. They just likely won't because of the division they're in. In terms of floor, short of an injury to... Justin Herbert, they're not winning less than nine games, which to be honest, they won nine last year. And I think that was the bottom because you look at, again, I described the weird loss to the Texans and they were highly inconsistent. They got waxed by the Patriots, but then beat the brakes off the Bengals. This was a team that just sometimes wouldn't turn it on when they needed to. The bottom fell out in several games. They got really unlucky with some of their analytics decisions which were correct they just didn't go their way like we're talking 50 50 situations that just didn't go their way sometimes you get a bad bounce the bottom fell out in a lot of ways and they still won nine games 
I think last year was that floor. So I'm setting that floor again because it's still the same team. They're just better now. Like they have better personnel. They have gone all in. They acquired more pieces on defense to fix the one thing that kept giving them problems, which is run defense. I do not think that there is any chance this team somehow ends up with less wins than last year other than if Justin Herbert gets hurt because he is by far one of the best quarterbacks in the league perennial MVP candidate in my opinion I took the biggest fucking L of my career (laughs) with my pre-draft grade on him I will forever resent the Oregon coaching staff for that but we're here now Justin Herbert's amazing he he will always be amazing. Like people, quarterbacks like this just don't come around often. No, he is rare amongst rare. And as long as he is in LA, they have a shot every single year of being the first seed, going to the Super Bowl, and winning the whole thing. I truly believe that he is. He is special. There's no other way to describe him. Hard agree on Herbert. If you think Justin Herbert is not special, I got news for you. You're wrong. Just <laughs> sit there and wallow in your wrongness and and be wrong. It's fine. You can do that. You're wrong. He is incredibly special. He's a gifted athlete. He is a wildly capable runner, which we don't talk about a lot, but when he takes off, he's damn fast, picks up a lot of yards, and he can throw passes that nobody but two or three other people in this league can throw. He has one of the best arms in this league, and he's just going to continue to get better. You don't find that combination of size and skill and poise We got to see him up close, and the question at 2020 Senior Bowl when we met where he was a quarterback was, I don't know, he's quiet. I don't think he can lead, and he is quiet. He's not super demonstrative. He's not loud. Um, He's not sort of in the boys' club necessarily, but make no mistake, he leads in a different way. It was very clear after that Senior Bowl week that he could lead a group of guys on the field just fine that was not an issue at all he does it in a different way he's incredibly smart he's soft-spoken but he has no trouble getting everybody on the same page add to that all the crazy alien-like physical skills that we've talked about you you just don't get quarterbacks like that coming along very often so i'm going to go one less than both your top and your bottom your floor and your ceiling i'm going to say 12 wins again because the division that the Chargers exist in is ridiculous. It's a bunch of, you know, city eating monsters running around and beating each other up. Eight wins is my floor because the drop off between Justin Herbert and Chase Daniel might be one of the top in the league. So oh, not there's no might about that. <laughs> yeah. If he gets hurt or even just misses a little bit of time, gets nicked up. You know, God forbid, I want to see that guy on the field completely healthy for every game of his career because he's one of the most exciting players in the NFL. But if Chase Daniel has to come in at this point in his career, or Easton Stick, the the other other backup, this team loses 
a lot. The playbook gets smaller, the amount of things that they're used to doing that they basically have to toss out the window, which are no longer physically possible for either of their two quarterbacks, is large. Um, They can get away with a lot. Basically anything that you could write up in a playbook, Justin Herbert can execute. The other two? No, it's about a third of that. So that's a significant drop off. And the other thing is the Chargers are the Chargers until they prove me wrong. Like I thought with the addition of Brandon Staley that they were going to dump a lot of that stuff, dump the high injury rates, dump the sort of head scratching losses where they clearly out talented the other team. They haven't yet fully. Now, I would love to see them as a team because they are so talented and they do have great roster that Tom's put together. I would love to see them live up to that potential and really just, you know, do the old Steve Young, take the monkey off the back and chuck it, go win. My ceiling is 12 games. My floor is eight. Go win the 12 games, get the first seed in the AFC West, beat the Chiefs twice and be like, that's right. That's who we are. We're ready. We're going to be here while the roster's loaded. That would be awesome to see. It'd be fun for football. It'd be great for parody, all that. Until they do that, I'm going to shade them a game or two from other teams because, like you said, this time of year, we always go, it's the Chargers year. They're so talented. And then they go out and they, for lack of a better word, it's a verb now, they charger along, right? (laughs) They got better with the addition of Brandon Staley. They didn't do it as much. Their injury rates were lower, but they still can't shake that sort of not winning winnable games and until they do i'm gonna hold them i'm gonna hold them down one game compared to you fair point however ej you're forgetting one thing that's a rather <laughs> important uni- detail the uniforms that's worth a win yes. a piece, right? yeah. okay you're missing two points number one okay. that <laughs> number two the one thing you didn't consider is that it is the chargers year god damn it oh again <laughs> This is this is the one. You this sound one. like Bill Murray in Groundhog's Day, and so do I. Uh, so you know, obviously, we're really excited about the Chargers prospects. We we like what they've done from a roster standpoint. We love what they've done from a coaching standpoint, and the changes they've made. We believe. Does this sound familiar? Again, that it's the Chargers' year. We'll see. Proofs in the pudding. They have as good a shot as anybody else. They got to go through Buffalo. True. They got to go through Cincinnati. They got to go through. I don't know, their entire division. Uh, yeah, and lot. oh, by the way, Baltimore, and oh, by the way, Indy, and oh, by the way, Tennessee. They got, they got a lot of <laughs> stuff <laughs> in front of them. But as long as they have Justin Herbert, I think they got a shot at doing it. So, for uh, sure. Fun team. Cannot wait to go down to camp myself, which I think is the same week this comes out, uh, and, and see the mutant live and in person. And then uh, I think I'm going to a game, game or two uh, at SoFi this year. Um, I, I think in back to back to back weeks, I'm going to get to see Stafford, Allen, uh, Burrow, Dak, Allen again, Tua, and then Herbert and whoever Herbert's playing against. Oh, and Carr as well. So, you know, one of those is not like the others, but I'm going to get to see a lot of great quarterbacks in like a four-week period. I, I can't wait. And Herbert might be uh, might be one of the three best of them. So, yeah. going to be a fun year. Um, tomorrow, speaking of Carr, we have Raiders Day. 
And uh, the Raiders are yet another team in this AFC West arms race that just refuse to die. And they have unbelievable amounts of talent. A lot of, I would say, more questions than sure. all the other teams in the division, which we will try to answer tomorrow. But their potential is arguably just as high. So we're going to dive into everything that happened to the Raiders this past offseason, where the roster is now, um, you know, trying to trying to project and pontificate about all these moves they made and, and what they mean for the uh, for the Raiders coming in 2022. If you're still with us, uh, first of all, why? Second of all, hope you show up again tomorrow for that and then come back on Friday for the uh, macro look at the AFC West where we attempt and likely fail at choosing the division winner. So all that being said, see you guys tomorrow. Same place, same time. We love you. And until then, later. Take care, sickos.